CHP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode. Hello, you golfing legends, and welcome back to another episode of the original Off Course. I am your host, Dan Edwards, and joining me this week is a couple legends in the Vokey game. Mr. Kevin Tassistro, who's a director of Wedge Development, and Aaron Dill, who is the director of Tour Relations. Gentlemen, it is great to have you on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Definitely. Hey, uh, super exciting release here with SM10. I, I think I'd love to kick it off to you, Aaron, since you do have a direct line to the guys on tour, and I'd assume they've provided you with a great deal of feedback over the last year or so on on product development how have things looked on that side of things from sm10 uh well that's a great question i mean they they are constantly feeding us with great ideas uh sometimes they're bad but (laughs) but for the most part you know these are all valuable little tidbits of information that i think allow kevin bob myself to to do our best work uh, without them we really wouldn't have all the great innovative ideas that we have when we design a new line so uh, I noticed, and, and I'll be honest, I did a little bit of research be- before the show. I, I caught a piece uh, and a quote from Mr. Vokey himself to you, and he said, don't take things personally as fairly early in your career on tour. I would assume that is very sage advice. W- why does it matter so much to hear that? Well, it is good advice, but I haven't I haven't really paid attention to it or <laughs> listened to it in one ear and out the other. Um you know, I, I when he was when he was first sort of mentoring me in the in you know in the early years of my time here at Titleist, you know, he gave me some great advice. You know, that was one of the things that he said: slow down, take your time, take great notes, don't take things personally. And you know, when you're this emotionally invested in something like Kevin and I are, like Bob is, um, losses hurt. You know, when you see a player leave you or not play your product, it, it stinks. You know, you put a lot of time, effort and energy into to helping these guys play their best golf. And, you know, when when things don't work out, it uh, it stinks. So I try every day, every week to to not take things personally. But but I have such a passion for this job and for these players that uh, it's tough. Yeah, um, when it comes to the whole design and and I when when I think of Vogue, I think of something that's incredibly established, uh, a product that that has a high level of expectation, not only from consistency release to release, but potentially improved wow, uh, improved performance as well. I, I feel like that has to be one of the biggest challenges is not only do you have to maintain the expectations that currently exist from a product, but also provide someone a reason to make the shift into new. Yeah. I mean, we, we try and sort of stay with the foundation of what the Vokey brand's all about. Um, when we think about our little, our little family and, and the things we're trying to accomplish, we, we really continue to focus on the things that we know players love, right? We, we create the best shapes in golf. We create uh, a list of grinds and balances that make sense wherever you're playing golf in the world. Um, and, and we make sure that they feel great. And as far as the innovation stuff goes, we try and incorporate things that we know make a lot of sense for our players, right? They're focused on trajectory spin. And that's right. Where, where I really, you know, lean on Kevin and his team is, is to come in and say, Hey, we're, we're, we're hearing these, these things from our players you know, they're looking for more spin, better feel. Uh, we want to make some changes to souls and grinds, you know, and that's where he steps in and says, no problem. 
let me study this. Um, and so we, if we stick to our foundation and we, and we make those incremental changes that we know improve ball flight and help players shoot lower scores. And I think we've got a winning combination, but I'll let Kevin speak to sort of the technical stuff that he pays attention to. Cause I think that's one of the key, if not the most important things that, that help me uh, put our players in a product that I'm confident with, and that I can help them be confident with as well. That was really good. <laughs> Thanks. <Kevin. laughs> uh, I mean, just circling to everything that Aaron has said, the PGA Tour guys are are coming to us weekly. It's not just after we release something and saying, "Hey, here's what I see wrong." Um, you know, we want the good and the bad because we want to understand how we can improve. And it's a weekly talk Aaron and I have, and uh, we have a good team here that tries to understand why things are happening. Take the good, make it better, but take some of the not so good and improve upon that. And I mean, we got we got two of the best CAD engineers that can understand wedges along with Bob and Aaron kind of just understanding why things happen and, and making those improvements. But we are also looking at like the blue sky stuff and saying, hey, how far can we take something? We can always come back, but how far odd looking or whatever that is to make a significant change in performance. But then at the end, we got to bring it back to the brand, right? We got to answer the question, does it fit the Vokey brand? You asked, it's got to be a Vokey. Does all these things we're looking at, does it prove to be a Vokey? And then we put it into a package and we're able to, to make it for the pros and everybody else. So when you talk about changes like that it has to be fairly subtle especially when you're working with this style of product because it's simply a matter of shaping or uh, weight <clears throat> excuse me weight placement there there doesn't seem to be this massive amount of potential change from one iteration to the next it has to be fairly subtle right uh yes and yes and no it it kind of depends on what kind of package we put it in so one of the big moves we made was in sm6 we went to progressive cg that's where we we're able to kind of flip the cg progression from a higher cg in the low lofts and a low cg in the high lofts and flipped it to where we got a lower cg that matches with the irons in the low lofts and then a high cg in the high lofts to flight the ball down um that was a big change in sm8 where we really pushed cg forward by a couple millimeters this doesn't sound like a lot but in the golfing world it's a it's a big deal the prototype that was there for that was a 64 that had two spheres coming off the face. Um, few people were, let's say, great enough to hit it. Uh, you had to keep it between the spheres in order to hit the face. But it it really, it really was able to make people feel like this is what CG in front of the face or closer to the shaft axis does. It really pushed the boundaries. And so when we made SM8, we put that whole package inside the club and made it look like a Vokey. So these huge innovations we come up with, that one was able to go into the club. Same with like the SM6 Progressive CG. We were able to put that in a package for Vokey. Now, as we move forward, um, some of these other changes, again, we're not able to, to make crazy looking things but 
we are able to do the things we want to do in the package. So it, it, it shows how good our team is and being able to design these things in the package that Aaron and Voki like. Um, and it just shows, you know, the creative ideas that these guys have. Yeah. I, I should have been a, a hair more clear not to downplay the amount of effort that goes into design, but the idea that those changes must be subtle from a visual perspective to sort of continue a, uh, as you mentioned, to, to add it to a Vokey concept, right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they have to, like you said, it's a, it's a subtle change. There are thicker top lines. The soles get a little bit more smoothed out profiles change in order to accommodate certain things. Hosel lengths change. It's small changes where the golfer looks down and still feels confident that, Hey, this is a Vokey. It looks like a Vokey. I still feel confident to hit it. I don't have to worry about the club anymore. I just have to worry about my swing, which is more than half the battle. And and I trust the club I'm looking at. Well, I think the progressive CG concept is really interesting. I mean, speaking for myself, I, I know I'm not of similar perspective of a lot of people, but I prefer to have the most fun with my lowest or I guess highest lofted club, which is my 58 degree. And I typically use the rest for uh, full swings. It is my preference to do that. Uh, so the idea of getting that 50 degree closer to an iron style CG and shape and shot, uh, that that is very appealing to me. But uh, I don't think enough is discussed on that side of things. I, obviously, if you see a 46 degree in the bag, typically it's a Vokey, I feel like, from my perspective, because guys get really excited when they have that product in the bag. Uh, was there that understanding that there is a level of expectation to close the gap between an iron experience and a wedge experience at that lower lofted uh, shape or is, is there more going on there than just that? Um, so on those stronger lofts, I think probably since the late 200 series run into the original spin mills, we had a number of players using 200 series 48s, um, and they, I think they, they really brought to light the importance of, of what we know today as progressive CG, meaning, you know, we had some players who had issues hitting their numbers. They were coming up a little short and the harder they swung, the shorter they went because they went higher and they had, you know, all these inconsistencies in their spin numbers. And because of that, that really sparked our team to start exploring this progressive CG thing. And, and while we were studying it in the higher lofts, um, and thinking that that was, maybe the coolest innovation that we were coming up with, we began to realize when we launched in Las Vegas with SM6 that players were speaking high. They were speaking so much more about the 46 or 52 that we kind of forgot we did it. Um, and so when, when we look, when we look back on those times and we look at, to, at what we're doing today, uh, what we're doing with our progressive CG and those stronger lofts is incredibly important. Iron design is getting stronger. Players still want to hit it further. And because our iron team is is pushing in that direction, we have to push with them. And I think when we look at what Kevin's doing with the engineering team on on every part of the bag, you know, not just with wedges, but he's 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 consulting with the iron team, he's consulting with the woods team, and he's he's getting a deep understanding as to okay, what direction are you going, and how do we work alongside you to to produce something that we know is in the best interest of our players. Yeah, I'll admit when I think about wedges, especially as I get closer to my irons, my goal is to get a soul grind that sort of mimics it. Um, in a lot of ways, I go from S to F uh, pretty comfortably with the idea of 
I have one plan with that club. <laughs> it's typically not to get super creative uh, from a, a face angle perspective. So uh, I, I love the idea of that, that progressive CG sort of existing and, and being a benefit to people. Uh, but I'll ask this question because I feel like we're very guilty of it from a consumer side. Is it an issue for us to get super focused on grinds or, or is that the direction that we should as consumers go to is get hyper focused on grinds as we fill out our set? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start this part, I guess. Um, I think we we get lost. Wedge selection is is a tricky thing. It's um, it's confusing. When you look at our matrix, we have 25 SKUs in SM10. There's a lot to look at. There's a lot of questions you have. That's why we continue to talk about the importance of fitting. Um, and one of the things that I often share with our with our pyramid of influence players, the best in the world, is let's not be focused on what the numbers say. Let's be focused on how we can make good quality shots and connect with the turf uh, in an efficient way. And that's done with the grinds, right? What's the best grind for you? And we often ask players, you know, hey, what grind are you? Because it's a fun way of exploring this space of, hey, this is the important thing to pay attention to. It's what we're focused on is finding the right grind and bounce for you. But specifically, what soul makeup is, is going to give you the best opportunity to hit good shots. So um, it's a confusing space, I know, for a lot. But I think for us, we try and simplify it and just asking that simple question of what grind is right. And you can really only understand that if you go out and get fit. Yeah, I'll I'll second that. I'm, I mean, we talk about it like it's, it's the know, gospel. The, the back of our hand, you know, like, Oh, what's that? No, but like, it's, it's the foundation of your short game. Um, you can have the best CG and the best score lines in the world. And if you're not fit for the right grind, you're not going to be able to use the CG or the score lines properly. Um, we, we sit in a room every generation to discuss what the grind matrix is going to be for the global, version and i mean we talk about what is what are the best ones or what are the ones that most people are going to gravitate towards because they're just going to buy off the rack and we can't when we say that we're like well we can't do that because we can't just put a better one in there you got to get fit you you have to find the one that works for you it it would probably work the same way in shoes uh, if depending on what you're going to do in your shoes right? Am I going to work today? Am I going running? Am I going to play basketball? What is it I'm trying to do with them? I need different shoes for those. I need different grinds depending on my swing type, the courses I normally play, things like that. I, if you want to shoot better, you got to have the right grind. And yes, it's a con very confusing space. Um, but once it, it, it's something you really don't even have to understand as much as just you can do a trial and error. If you're able to get fit and just go out and hit them all, Bob always likes to say, you don't choose the grind, the grind chooses you. And it's a fact. And you will walk away and you will that aha moment. Oh, this is the one. You will you will find the one or the, the grind will find you for sure. Yeah, I, I was going to ask about the number of grind options. I think SM9 had something like 23, if I'm correct. Uh, and it sounds like you've increased to 25 for SM10. There has to be a challenge in the design room or in the final decision-making sessions where you worry about the over the paralysis of options that exist. Uh, 
between there, there's a there's got to be a gap between that over option and getting the right fit for everyone uh, to to make their set as as perfect as possible. What is that like landing on that number and and maybe leaving something out just at, with the idea of hey <laughs> maybe less is more when these people are just staring at these iron or these wedges and, and trying to make that decision for themselves. I would say typically uh, it's a bit of a battle. <laughs> we have we have these lengthy discussions about what the the matrix should be like. Uh, me coming from the the, the tour side, um, I always feel like I can do a better job if I have more tools in my tool chest. Uh, and if you come in the tour van and you look inside the the wedge room and the drawers, you'll see three drawers that are dedicated to stock inline SM10 parts, which is 25 SKUs and two finishes. Now, just below that, we have a prototype drawer as well. And this is our learning space. This is our spot where we explore different things, different grinds, different you, whatever it may be. And that ultimately is is how we settle on the line that we have. Now, why we increase SKUs, we, we continue to, to look at the marketplace as a great example of um, what what our consumers are doing. We look at the tour. We ask the tour players, what what are the popular models? Uh, and more importantly, what are not? And can we take those out of the line? Um, but because conditions change so much around the globe, right? Regardless if you're playing here in the States, if you're in ryegrass, bentgrass, Bermuda grass, zoysia, past palum, fescue, you name it, those conditions change a lot. And it's not just the grass, it's the soil structure, right? And our partners around the globe, Will Harvey, who works on the DP World Tour, uh, Shige in Japan, um, Jinku in Korea, they're all instrumental in giving us this valuable information and saying, hey, these are the grinds that are working here. We need these. These are really important. You can take these ones out. And, th and that's really how we ultimately come into this, um, this space of this is what we need to do to make sure that every golfer, regardless of where you play in the world, you have proper tools that are going to help you play better. Yeah, that 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 matrix meeting we have about what's going in and going out. It's it's long. It takes multiple weeks to figure it out. Most of us go in there saying like, "Oh, this is a for sure thing." It if it's a for sure thing, it definitely is not for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a very objective meeting as well because we we all have our own thoughts and philosophies and ideas on what things are supposed to be. You know, it, it, like I'll use Kevin as a great example of somebody who has a very um, a very objective view on what is right and what isn't. And it, it's good because it's easy for me to walk into a room and say, hey, we need 35 models. And he's going to go, no, we don't, because that's 35 that we have to make. And that takes a long time and it's expensive. And, and Corey, you know, he's going to say the same thing. And, and it's this great it's this great room of, of, of minds that are, we all have the same thoughts at the end of the day. We just want to do what's in the best interest of our players. Um, but we have to rein each other in sometimes and say, hey, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, what is the best number uh, and, and why? And I think, you know, Kevin's great at doing that as well as Corey and Bob is just we're all here to to, to help each other figure it out. Yeah, there the, the grinds are there for a reason. There's enough space between them for the average golfer to recognize a difference. At the tour level, there's a huge space between them, and that's why there are extra grinds that kind of fill in some spaces. But uh, the the grinds that we have there, um, some grinds will say are complements to each other. Could be a high bounce, 
narrower sole and a high bounce wider sole. Two high bounce options for two different type of players. Um, but then as you work down to the lower bounce options, there's, we'll call it a gap so that you notice the difference so that you're hitting shots and you're understanding what the grind is doing for you. So each of them does have a purpose. And again, it's limited so that we, we can't make all these, but we do for tour. Um, but it, it would, it would then muddy the waters a lot for the, for the average consumer for the tour player. Definitely not. But um, we, we come out of the meeting feeling pretty good. And and the new additions this year, the extra two uh, is the 5408 M is back in the lineup as pitching wedges have gotten stronger and loft. Uh, people are now going to more of a 50, 54, 58 combination, or even the 54 is the last club in the bag. So this is kind of a lower bounce option. And we are now including a, the 58 and 60 is a T grind. Uh, this time around to start. And so the 58 low bounce is an option. Again, that 50, 54, 58 combination having a low bounce 58. So this this meeting sounds like pay-per-view. Do you have to check weapons and uh, you know brass knuckles at the door and maybe get a football helmet <laughs> and some boxing gloves before you get in there? Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's like we walk in, this is what I'm going to get done today. I'm going to push my agenda across the board and it's 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 checked at the door we all come with mutual respect for each other and and try to hear each other out and like i said it it takes weeks which we always say oh it's one meeting this time we've already got it figured out no it takes weeks and by the end it, you look back and you say yeah that's why we why we spend the time doing it so when it comes down to uh feedback from the tour i would assume there's a great deal of feedback that comes from your local fitters as well that are all around the United States and around the world, the feedback they receive uh, during their fitting process and the, the trends they see, is, is there a lot that goes into that as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, their, their input and, you know, their, their words are, they're, they're very important. They carry a lot of weight. Um, but there's usually a consensus, right? We know that in softer conditions, that's a, an area that requires more bounce. We know that Bermuda grass, uh, styles of golf courses will require more bounce. Um, you know, so, so we, we sort of have a pretty good idea over 20 something years of, of having Bob, you know, steer the ship that, uh, that there are, there are trends that we see. We know soft is more bounce. We know firm is less bounce. Um, but we're exploring some interesting spaces that, that are more geared towards soil structure and bunkering and how sands are changing. Uh, and just the just the the overall way that golf is played, but everybody's input matters. It's all used in in the direction we go. So anytime we can we can get our hands on some of that stuff, we we definitely take it into consideration. I, I'd love to know from the tour aspect, are are they making changes to their wedge structure tournament to tournament, whether it's in the rain on the other side of the country? Do you, do you see much of that, or they get pretty locked in with what they use? Yeah, I think once we get them in a place, they're very comfortable. Um, they will typically stay in those wedges for a long time. You know, major course condition changes will have to encourage a change in the grinds or the bounces. Uh, a great example would be going to an Open Championship or, say, a Masters, where we know that things could could get crispy. Uh, those are places where players are going to have some questions. They're going to want to test and try. Even in the last couple of weeks, where we've had a tremendous amount of, uh, amount of rain on the West Coast, we've had players come up and say, what do you think? You know, we're in Bermuda. Uh, do you think I should add some bounce to a wedge? Should I try a different 60? 
And, you know, I'll encourage that I'll, I'll encourage that testing and we'll go through it. But I'll also remind them that, hey, if we make this change, you have to relearn a wedge and it's Wednesday morning and you're going to tee off tomorrow. So is this in the best interest of the next four days of, com- of competitive golf? And if you feel like it is and we see it, you know, a tremendous improvement, then, yeah, let's let's run this play. But we try and encourage that um, any big changes will take place away from the golf course where there's less stress and less pressure and they can just kind of focus on on getting to know that wedge before they put it into an event. So you got that caddy reaching out to you saying, I want these irons or these wedges with these grinds and I want you to hammer away where it says what the bounce option is on there. Yeah, yeah we've, we've done that before. Believe me, we have some superstitious players that they don't want to know what's in their hands. They just want yeah. to make sure that it works. And so we'll we'll go through the the steps of taking away all the informative information on the back. <laughs> it's just, just a lot wedge. That's all you need to know. Yeah, I love that. I, I think the only thing to do after talking about grinds is to go over finishes because let's overthink one more thing uh in the lineup if we can you've you've had some nice consistency with uh some options is the nickel new for this year yes nickel is new takes or replaces brush steel okay uh i'd love to know again how you land on these things i'm assuming part of it is development and and testing throughout the different options you have uh new technologies whatever it may be but how do you land on what you have? Yeah, um, we, you know, we got a three finishes. And when you look at sell through, it's half of them are tour chrome. That's really not going anywhere. And then we have the other two finishes, which are kind of 50-50, quarter-quarter, however you want to look at it. Um, they're both the same. But we look at what the golfer's looking for. Uh, they kind of, they want something that looks good, obviously, but they also want some durability that goes with it. They want it to hold up for a respectable amount of time. Probably not as long as you own the wedge, uh, which hopefully is, you know, not too long. Uh, but the the brush steel finish, uh, while good, it kind of was very similar to Tour Chrome, just had a different uh, color to it. It was more on the gold or brown side. And we wanted to... When we when you look at Tour Chrome and Jet Black being the, this third finish, uh, the all blacked out version, you know people love it or hate it, and the ones that love it really want all black. We kept that. You look at those two, you, we kind of were like, we want one that's in the middle, guy that doesn't want the shinier Tour Chrome or the super black. He wants a nice gray finish in the middle, and that's what we came up with, and it. It really is really nice. It's it's a more matte finish versus the shinier brush steel. Um, it's got a a protective coating on it, so it doesn't get fingerprinted too much. So on the shelf, it looks really good. It'll hold up pretty well. Um, bunkers are when you hit a club out of a bunker, any bunker, any club, uh, it's going to ruin finishes. Um, that's just the world we live in. But it it holds up pretty well, and it and it fit that color difference right in between so it's it's been a really big hit so far okay what's the tour look like from a finish perspective it's mainly raw it's that's 95%, what i figured yeah about 95 percent of what we give away on the van is raw um and that's a great question because i think a lot of people wonder well why aren't they doing the other finishes why don't why don't we see a lot of jet black why don't we see the new nickel 
Uh, and the truth is we, we spend so much time making sure that the little details are, are right. Uh, and it's difficult to add polishing touches to a plated finish like the stuff that Kevin is, has worked on um, because that finish will disappear and you'll have a little rust spot wherever it touches the wheel. So we will typically use raw parts, uh, the majority of our of our work out there on the tour just to make sure that the polishing is right. Well, I think the black is the only option you need, frankly. It's perfect. So <laughs> you could just yeah. drop all that other stuff. <laughs> it is a it is a pretty finish, but I gotta I gotta hand it to Kevin. The nickel is really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Every I, time I, I put one in my hands. I've seen them in pictures. They look phenomenal. I've actually got a little cheat sheet set up here on the on the left side, which currently is on one of your web page or uh on your website, and it's this huge 56 degree. It looks stunning. So um, I, I can understand the interest, but I'm telling you the black's the one <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know, uh, a little bit more, Kevin, about your connection between the rest of the development teams. I've seen some discussion about your involvement in the iron process. I, I was not aware uh, on the wood side, but there seems to be more collaboration, or at least from our end, more discussion about collaboration between the lines. I just kind of sneak around where I'm not welcome and make sure that I hear everything. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, we we all work. So Marty Inez, director of iron development, and Stephanie Luttrell, director of metalwood development, we're talking weekly. You know, new materials, uh, especially irons, like what are we doing with soles, uh, CG perspective, how do we make sure that the transition looks right. How do we make sure we get with the design team so there's like a common language in the Titleist product? Um, I want to make sure I don't leave any stone unturned. I want to make sure that I have all the information necessary. Whether or not we use that information, uh, different story, but I just like to have everything in front of me so I'll when we are ready to launch product, we know that we've done everything we possibly can and knowing that we've made the right decisions. That doesn't mean the decision isn't going to change tomorrow. I can't control that. But we we do work together in making sure that, you know, it's not like we don't know anything about the other product categories. Stephanie and Marnie, if they see something about wedges, they'll come and talk to me. I talk to them. We make sure we're all on the same page and that we're doing things the right way, right? We do things for the Titleist brand and for the golfer in general. So we we take everyone's information seriously and, and we try to incorporate what each other's talking about. Yeah, I would assume the need to be connected is probably the most significant with the Iron Team because that is that next progression between your product and theirs. Um, it, with this attitude that golfers have now this perspective that we should have a gap wedge in our current set or even some of the more forgiving products that have that go deeper than that uh, is is a part of that discussion involved on how we can best connect our two products together yeah i mean there there's different reasons for the different products uh, not everybody is going to fit into a vokey wedge the if you want the iron wedge, if you have other reasons for it, uh, we want to make sure we, we cover those options for golfers. We want to make sure we're not here to say like, I want to make sure I sell more wedges than irons. And he's not saying I want to sell more irons. We want to make sure the golfer plays the best golf he can. And that means 
providing the options that he needs to go try to play better golf. If we try to help that person play better golf, the rest of it selling golf clubs kind of takes care of itself. Okay. Um, Aaron, when it comes to tour activity and, and the way that players adapt to new product, has SM10 been fairly well accepted and, and quickly put into play? I, I know there are some players who hear change. Uh, some players who, as mentioned, don't even want to know what the change is. But uh, overall, what is it like moving into SM10 for them? Is it quick? Uh Yes, this this time around, this is this has actually been our our best adoption ever. I think um, I always go into a launch a little nervous, a little pessimistic, maybe because you know I, I don't know. I just I just I don't know how they're going to accept it, how they're going to adopt it, um, and so you know all I can do is really do my best work to prepare for for launches. And we've been fortunate; our our player pool is bigger than it's ever been. You know, we're working with. A lot of people, even people outside of our, our FPL list. And because of that, we need to separate our launches into different categories. But we had 59 wedges in play the first little week, which is our mini launch at the Century this year. And then we launched another 70 players or so at the American Express. And that got us to 160. Um, so when we talk about launches, that to us is an incredible feat because we were able to connect with a lot of players in a very short amount of time, roughly two and a quarter days, um, tell our story, talk about the improvements and how these these changes benefit our players. And for them to confidently put them in the bag in that week and, and go out and play good golf is, um, is a testament to the quality of the product. So uh, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of our team uh, here in Carlsbad who helped us polish all the parts, trace all the parts. I don't know if our, your listeners know, but we score line trace every part twice. Um, it's an important part of how we make sure that our grooves are um, conforming based on our, uh, RNA and USGA ruling. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it, believe it or not. It's not just taking things out of a box and slapping them together with some glue. It's 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 a, a large team spending a lot of time preparing uh, hundreds, if not thousands of parts for these little launches we do around the globe. Hmm. Uh, when it comes to overall tour experiences, and, and I'm going to look at you for a little bit of a more personalized answer to this, is it, do you see differences between the tours that you have been around, uh, LPGA, the senior tours, uh, discussions from your folks who work overseas, is the attitude fairly similar with the players on each one? Yeah, that's a great question. It's every tour is a little different. I think, um, you know, I've spent so much time on the PJ tour. I've gotten so accustomed to just the vibe and, and the personalities out there. And the last few years, I've spent more time uh, in Japan. I've spent more time on the DP tour uh, and, and on the LPGA. And you begin to realize that these these tours are um, they're jam packed with talent. I mean, everybody out there is so good. Um, and, and going from from your your male dominant tours to your female dominant tours, um, they're so different. They have these these difference in, differences in personalities. The golf courses are different. The grass conditions are different. The um, the amount of uh, personnel and and fans and just even the difficulty at a DP event to to get to an Open Championship. It's like it's out in the middle of nowhere, so it's a difficult place to get to. But somehow those diehard fans, they they won't stop until they're at these events. So I think maybe that's one of the cooler things about doing tour work and, and working tour events is the um, the differences in, in 
not only the um the the types of golf the the venues they play on and the and the different tour types i just think it's a fun way of just um of seeing the differences in how golf's played around the globe great uh, one of the final questions I have has to do with durability. Uh, I would assume based on the fact that something like a wedge is one of the most likely products to wear down based on just the, the surfaces that it interacts with regularly. I think sand is a perfect example, sand-based turf. Um, there has got to be a constant balance between finding something that is as durable as possible uh, and something that performs in a way that provides positive feedback for golfers as well. And then on the other side of it, accepting that not all golfers are going to want to change their product every 50 to 60 rounds, whatever the number might be. Can you, is, is it, is it challenging to land on the perfect spot, understanding all those things while you, you develop these products? Yes. So, uh, not only with the finishes, uh, but we have to worry about score lines too. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is making sure that the day you take it out of the box, then 50 rounds later, how it performs. And so we put a, a specialized heat treat on the face. It's like searing a steak. So it only goes about as deep as the score lines. And what that does is it doubles the life of the groove edge versus if, if it wasn't heat treated uh this way we get to about 75 rounds to 100 rounds of golf before that those score line edges will wear out and you start to get like double the amount of feet of rollout um that's where we figure like you don't know it as a golfer playing over time like oh i'm just playing my wedge playing my wedge but if you take that wedge that 75 rounds of play and then grab a new one you're gonna know right away like oh my gosh i've been missing out on the spin for so long so that heat treat really helps the performance of the wedge the finishes, um, you got your tour chromes, which is a little bit harder. Um, it helps with the durability of, of the score lines, but also helps with wedges. Some of these finishes, they're similar to like faucets, right? But faucets, you, you touch them with a rag, or you touch them with your hands. Like you said, these clubs are going through sand. They're going through rocky turf. Um, we, we make sure that they're held up to the harshest of environments. We have a quality team here that, that really puts the time into testing all these things. We put them through bag shaker tests that, I mean, it looks like somebody dropped them off buildings, uh, making sure that they hold up. We do that. We throw them off buildings too. Yeah, we, we do do that. Um, <laughs> uh, we put them through a number of tests just to make sure like, hey, these things are going to go through hot Arizona winters and Canadian hot Arizona summers, Canadian winters. It's got to go through everything. And so, at the end of all this, does that club look like it should after, we'll call it 75 to 100 rounds? Yes, it deserves the name Vokey. It performs because of the score lines. Score lines have held up. So it goes through the gamut every single time. What's your perspective on guys who are very critical of their wedge play but don't clean their grooves ever? then they don't care about playing golf well. <laughs> Here's the deal. These last two questions I'm going to directly send to about 10 of my friends when we're done, and they're very important you answer them the way I think. So, <laughs> uh, If you're not cleaning your wedges, then you, you might as well not. Uh, you could be out there just for the fun and the camaraderie. Uh, most of us are out there to probably shoot the lowest score possible. You clean your grooves. It is the 
biggest deal when playing wedges. I mean, you got to clean them so that new crap can get inside those grooves. Uh, that groove edge needs to bite the ball somehow. And if there's stuff already in the grooves and you're hitting stuff into it, that stuff will get caked onto the face and you're basically hitting with a smooth face then. And the ball's going to go straight up in the air with no spin and is going to end up short. Um, clean your grooves. Number one, I, Aaron will tell you on tour, uh, guys have the brush in their pocket. Every shot, hit a shot, clean the grooves. That's the only way you're going to know if you're getting the proper performance out of that club. To add on to that, if, if you have a dirtier groove, is it present a chance to wear down faster? I would say so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it, if you, if you jam pack your score lines with uh, dirt, grass clippings, all that stuff typically is pretty moisture rich. And that moisture is going to break down that edge of that radius, uh, which is causing you to get that spin. So you're you're not only allowing that moisture to break down the edge, but you're also jam packing it so full that the edge can't even be used anyways. So it, it's it's certainly not doing you any favors. I know for 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 tour guys, you know when they show up on the tee and their grooves are dirty, it's usually one of two things: either their caddy hasn't been in their bags for a long time and they're just getting into it to a golf event after a while. It's usually, you know, players just kind of forgetting like, Oh yeah, my caddy's not here. Never mind. Uh, and, and the other could be just, you know, getting ready to fire a caddy, one of the two. So, <laughs> you know, those, those two things happen, but you know, when we talk about the importance of spin on tour, um, that's control of your titles ball. You know, that's, that's how you make sure that you can, attack tight pins around some of the more challenging greens that we see from week to week. Uh, these players know that firsthand. It's a big reason why I have a job is making sure that players have spin and wedges, uh, especially in those higher lofts where spin decay is more prevalent. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of it is running up and down the range, making sure that players have enough stopping power um, to allow them to, to make more birdies. So the, the final question is based on, the amount of time you should go between switching out wedges. I, I have friends who have and love their SM six and seven. And, you know, it, it's been in the bag for hundreds of rounds and I keep encouraging them. If you want to have more precision, you might want to freshen your grooves up. And that doesn't include that tool you bought on eBay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what do you say to golfers? What, what should be the expectation if, if they want the best performance and what is realistic from a refresh on the wedges? Uh, I'll, I'll start with the tour side of things. Um, because we know how important spin is, it's something we focus on every single week. Um, we have a one through four rule that we like to follow on the tour. And it's basically, uh, it's kind of a, uh, a standard practice of how we make sure that players have grooves throughout a calendar year. Um, if you play a 46, 50, 54, and 58, you're going to change out your sand wedge one time. You're going to change out your 52 times. You're going to change out your 54 three times and your lob wedge or your 58 four times. So that's one through four. Um, that, again, is just sort of a, a philosophy we we run through. And, and we do that for several reasons. We know that spin decay is going to show itself much faster in that sand and lob wedge category because that strikes very oblique. And so we're going to change those out much more often. You know, a player like Justin Thomas, he's a he's a really good example of somebody who understands how important that spin is. But he also knows that it's not about having spin in everything. So on his 46 and 52, he's going to replace those maybe once a year. 
you know, he knows that he can break him into a sweet spot. They're still going to produce pl- plenty of stopping power unless they're damaged in play or something like that. Then he'll keep those for a while. But once he gets into that sand wedge, that 57 degree, he's going to change that out four plus times a year. And that that lob wedge, that 60 and a half, that's going to go eight to 12 times a year. Um, and again, that's 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 him knowing that if he if he loses some spin, he's losing control of his ball. Uh, and that's just unacceptable when you're trying to to win major championships and you're trying to um, you know, just, we just win tournaments in general and play better golf. I, I really appreciate that angle because typically they're spoken as a whole, as a group. And and I look at my SM nines and I, I'm, I'm a little bit psychotic when it comes to wedge cleaning and any cleaning. I, I have a bit of a history of wiping my club down after every shot, regardless of range or course. Uh, so I know I take it to the extreme, but if you look at my 50 and 54, they're actually still very clean. Whereas the 58, which gets all my around the green play, especially in the bunker, that's the one that's kind of gotten beat up a bit. So the idea that I can replace one instead of all three is a lot more encouraging, especially if I take care of them. I really like that side, that angle. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's really the point we're trying to make is that while we know how important spin is and you need to make sure you have it, it doesn't mean you need to replace everything. You just need to replace the ones that need it the most, which are the highest lofted. So that 54 through 60 category. Yeah. Those, those clubs, the ones that you're using the most, right? Sand and lob. A lot of, everybody uses a lob wedge now around the greens. And when we say that 75 round mark, that includes some practice. And if you look at the the four times they're changing during the year, if you say every three months, they're playing nine rounds in three months, you know, three, three tournaments a month. That's probably close to 75 rounds, which is like the three times four, like the amount of tournaments, the amount of rounds, plus their practice time is close to 75 to hundred rounds. It, it is that mark, which proves it. Another way to look at it. Uh, we like to say is friends don't let friends change their wedge grips. If it's time to change your grip, it's time to change your wedge. It, if you're using it a lot and it's slick and you're like, oh my gosh, I need a regrip, look at the face of the wedge. It's probably going to tell you it's time to change that too. That's the most Josh Talley thing I think I've ever heard, considering you said it the last time he was on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's great. It works. <laughs> well, hey, uh, it's been an absolute blast chatting with you today. Um, it sounds like Kevin will be seeing you in a couple months here at Ballyhack for a, a Vokey Wedge experience, which people should be very excited about. Um, I'm excited too. Telling you a few stories about what's uh, what's to look forward to there. The the goat track, some some tons of wedge experience potential, uh, along with a lighted green at night that we can pretty much hit wherever from. So very much looking forward to that with you. Awesome. I look forward to it as well. Do you guys have any final things you want to say to the THP community before we take off today on SM10 or just in general? Kevin, anything? Um, I got a couple things. Get <laughs> get fit. Uh, obviously, get fit. We know that's really important. But you know, go check these new wedges out because I would be willing to bet that the majority of your listeners they probably are are well due. Um, you'd be amazed at how little players focus on replenishment of their score lines or just updating their wedges in general. So go out and check these out. And try them. I mean, they're great. They feel like butter. They look awesome and. Um, and I'm confident that if you get them in your bag, you're going to shoot better scores. I'll go a little bit more general. Have fun playing golf while you're out there. Spend the five hours. Enjoy your people you're with. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think about anything else. Have fun. 
I love that. Kevin, that's typically how I end my show. I encourage golfers to have a great time if they're playing this weekend. Um, I tend to do that more in the off season because I'm sort of cranky in Ohio and can't play, but I get to play this weekend. So I can share in that fun. It's It's been an adventure talking about SM10. I'm thrilled to, to have you on and uh, especially hearing from the design and the tour side of things. It's really fascinating for me and I'm assuming everyone who's listening in. Um, so yeah, if you are playing golf this weekend, have a great time. Check out SM10 if you see it in a bin uh, at your shop and go hit it for yourself. And uh, But listen to Aaron, go get fit and understand wedge grinds, especially uh, as you move into 2024. Take care, guys. We'll see you next week. THP Radio on the Hackers Paradise Podcast Network, your number one source for all things golf. Subscribe on iTunes to never miss an episode.